Hello, and welcome to another episode of Reframe Your Brain. Starting with episode 11, Danielle Kent and I are doing something different. Each week, we'll be sharing conversations with a variety of people talking about what they're reframing in this challenging and pivotal time of COVID-19. If you want to share a story about something that you're reframing, reach out to us on Instagram at Reframe Your Brain. Yeah, my name is uh, Sean Madden. I am 41 years old. Uh, I live in Incheon, South Korea with my wife, who's Korean. Um, we have one dog. I've been in Korea for a good number of years now, and I am a ESL instructor here in the city of Incheon. Thank you so much, Sean, for coming on and talking with us on the podcast. Um, my As, pleasure. Uh, uh, before we started recording, uh, we were talking a little bit about um, just things that have been going on in the world lately. And I like to start by asking people what they're reframing and rethinking or, you know, reconsidering things that have come up for them in the last, you know, for, for us in the U.S., it's been about a month and a half for you in Korea. Maybe it's been longer. Um, so things that have come up that you've been reevaluating in some way. That's sort of where we start with this. Sure, yeah. Um, well, that's a good question. I mean, I think um, I'm re really reevaluating a lot of things, like um, professionally, um, now that really the whole world economic structure is gonna be kind of, is being turned upside down, um, trying to figure out like, well, what's next? How how are we going to adapt to this? What how is all of that going to change? So I think it's causing me to put a lot of um, perhaps career ambitions and thoughts and ideas on hold for a bit. Mm. Um, I've been on the fence about like for you know grad school and that kind of thing for a long time, and this has made me think. Okay, well, we have to wait and see. <laughs> what happens to the world economy because like and what happens to schools and funding with all that um mm -hmm. so it's definitely making me rethink uh, my own like personal ambitions and it's i think i'm being less ambitious because i feel like the more ambitious i'm being i'm being more selfish because mm. we're experiencing a worldwide catastrophe with people dying and people losing everything they have so i kind of feel like well and I'm worried about well, what am I going to do professionally? <laughs> I kind of feel <laughs> I'm being, I, I, I say, look, we need to take a step back and we need to embrace reality as to what's happening. So I, it's causing me to just reevaluate that. And um, also um, since we live here in Korea and we've contemplated about, you know, moving back to the States eventually, well, I think this would probably delay that even further considering mm -hmm. what's going on and the way things are functioning over there compare, compared to how they're functioning over here at the moment. Can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe about some of the differences in how like just the what the response was or has been or still is like how are things in Korea right now um, and compared to what you know about how they are in the U.S.? Sure, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's there's a pretty significant difference. Um, so Korea was hit hard in February. It was scary for a bit. Um, it was in the city of Daegu, which is the third largest city where my wife is from, and we go there on a regular basis. Um, they experienced an outbreak mainly thanks to a religious cult called the Shincheonji. Um, now that particular religious cult is the leader claims that he is like the second coming of Christ, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And they're very secretive in the way that they do things. And people don't like to acknowledge that they're a member of that particular cult. And the way that they worship is that they have everybody sitting on the floor together, like um, touching shoulders. And when they say amen, they're supposed to, you know, kind of yell it at the top of their lungs and all this stuff. So, and they're not allowed to wear masks in mm. there um, because that's considered to be disrespectful to God. Mm. So the way that they normally worship is not something that's good when you have a, mm -hmm. a virus there. Yeah. Um, now, the what happened was, was that the 
the founder of that church, his brother passed away and a contingent from Wuhan, because this church has like a, had a branch in Wuhan. Oh, Wuhan, China. Wuhan, China, right. Mm -hmm. These were, Mm -hmm. um, these were Korean people who um, were involved with the branch in Wuhan, Mm -hmm. because this cult has branches all over the world. Mm -hmm. So they came from Wuhan and a couple of them were infected Mm -hmm. and they went to a service for the the founder's brother and then a bigger worship service oh. and this is all at a hot the in korea the funerals are at take place at hot in the hospitals themselves mm-hmm. so this particular hospital where the founder's brother passed away this uh members of that church started spreading it there wow. and then they would go to their worship where they're sitting on the floor and saying amen and everything like mm-hmm. that very loudly not wearing masks all this stuff um you know, just in close proximity to one another. Mm-hmm. So they're spreading it all amongst themselves. And then the thing is, the people who are a part of this cult are regular everyday people. However, nobody wants to acknowledge that they're part of this cult because so, as soon as they say that, then they face a lot of discrimination. People, oh my God, you're from that crazy cult and oh, mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. So nobody liked to acknowledge it. So once it was identified that this cult was, um, cause it, they were basically super spreaders, super um, spreaders oh my gosh yeah super, yeah, super <laughs> spreaders. really they were they were yeah. it was from that um 500 officers from the daegu police department had to go around the city and the surrounding areas to track down potential members because people did not want to acknowledge it right and people and the thing was they had to get people tested mm-hmm. and so of the 10,000 or so cases in uh, in Korea, almost something like 65 to 70% are all linked to that church. Wow. So had it not been for that cult, then the number of cases would have been significantly lower. Right. And so that caused the city of Daegu to be pretty much in lockdown for a good, well, they're still somewhat in lockdown mode. Um, my in-laws who live there have barely left their house since February 18th. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, it's so, April 24th for people who are exactly, listening. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Um, wow. In terms of the response across Korea, um, it's been pretty strong. Um, and that's for a number of reasons. One is in 2015, Korea had the um, the uh, a slight outbreak of MERS, the mm-hmm. Middle Eastern Respiratory uh, Syndrome. And there was something, I mean, it was contained. It was, I believe, less than 200 cases, but I was here at the time and we had school events canceled because of it. Mm -hmm. So they did learn some stuff from that. And normally here during cold and flu season, just like in China and Japan, people do wear masks when they're sick because they don't want to spread it to everybody else. So the Mm -hmm. concept of wearing masks was already part of the culture here because of cold and flu season and yeah. also air pollution too. Right. So when the right. air pollution is bad, I like, I wear masks. So that was not something that people needed to adjust to. Like as soon as they said, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask, everybody was on board with that. Right. Um, and the testing is free and widespread and easily available. So everybody can get a test very easily. And that's one of the big reasons why um, the country has not had to shut down. I mean, stuff is still open nowadays. Now, mm-hmm. social distancing is being practiced and people are being extremely careful, but things are open here. Daegu did, was in pretty much lockdown mode, but... The rest things, of the country. Yeah, it's still open. Not totally, but it's open. Um, mm-hmm. When we were talking before we started recording... Yes. You said uh-huh. that like where you live is pretty close to Seoul and you could go into the city for the day and spend the day, yeah. but go to the movies or whatever, but you haven't been. Are those places open though? If you wanted to go to the movies, could you? The movies are open, but attendance has dropped something like 80 to 90%. So okay. um, a lot are I believe some have closed, but yeah, attendance is very low. What has taken their place is actually drive-in movie theaters have mm-hmm. become a thing here because people can social distance. I think that's happening in Germany as well. I've read but, about that, yeah, in different places. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 it's happening here. Um, so you can go to the movies, but nobody's doing it. The same mm-hmm. thing with um, 
you know, um, nightclubs remained open for a bit, but then obviously this is not a time where you can be on a dance floor. So um, <laughs> they had to shut down. Now, I think some of them are still open in some ways. Maybe they're closing like the dance floor and you can just go and have a drink or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. um, schools are still closed. Schools are still online. Um, when when did um, March. I'm sorry go ahead yeah when did the schools I'm assuming the schools weren't online before is that and when did they switch to being online okay so the school year here starts in March just like Korea and oh, Japan okay. start their school year in March like March 1st or March 2nd excuse me is the beginning of the school year mm -hmm. and it goes the spring semester goes from March to like early August, late July, early August. And then the fall semester is from like beginning of September and goes until the end of December. Okay. And um, that's like the school year here. Um, so the school year, the start of the school year has been delayed multiple times. Um, it was pushed back a couple of weeks, like towards the end of March, then the beginning of April. And then I think it's three times now it's been moved back. Now, what schools were doing were just having students complete online assignments. Now they're actually doing online classes via Zoom and that kind of a thing. So mm -hmm. now they are doing classes, but everything's online. As to when students will be back, that remains up in the air. They're not certain that they'll get them back before the, um, before the semester ends. So mm -hmm. it could be until September, until students are actually physically back in school. Mm -hmm. um, um, places of worship, churches, and other um, religious um, services are also all, um, all online, too. Um, restaurants are open. Um, you'll see people in there, but it's like people are just, you know, trying to spread out a bit not and not uh, spending too much time in there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm curious about for where I live in pretty you know, a pretty rural state in Vermont. Yeah. Um, when schools switched to being online, one yes. of the, two of the big challenges were the fact that, you know, rural part, really rural parts of the state, internet access, some people don't have internet at home. And I would say that's, that's like a small percentage of the population. Uh, I would say a larger percentage probably has unreliable internet. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. there are people who live closer to towns who have like pretty decent internet. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there was also the challenge of addressing sort of the socioeconomic um, variety or diversity that exists within a given school district of yeah. families who may have devices at home or may not have devices at home and yeah. providing those to those families to make sure everyone was sort of equitably able to access their education. And I, I don't know enough about Korea to know if those things would I'm imagining it's, you know, that those challenges would exist in some way um, in Korea also. But I wonder if you know a little bit about that at all, or if you have any speculation about whether those were challenges or, or not. Sure. Um, with, the, with the start of the school year. Yeah. Um, well, to the first part of your question about like the, um, the internet access, um, that is one thing that here it's, um, it's extremely strong here. I mean, the yeah. like the connections are just like availability and connection is so strong here, even in the most rural places. Um, Korea kind of prides itself on being technologically savvy. Mm -hmm. And um, even when I lived and worked in a very rural area, a town of like 30,000 people. Um, <laughs> and then I lived in an apartment building that was like even farther away from that. Uh -huh. um, if the internet went down for just like, if it was just a little bit shaky, people would complain. And then the, um, the, the people, the, it would get repaired instantly. And so it was widely <laughs> available. Um, and then also people's phones because mm. it's the land of, you know, Samsung and smartphone technology. So I know that some students are just using their phones for things and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but the, about inavailability of stuff, yeah, that is definitely an issue. I've talked to a lot of teachers about that and that is a concern that they have. So they've, I know that um, having students go to local libraries has been one method to do it. Mm. Um, 
some students, um, I don't know that schools have opened for students who might not, you know, have um, a computer at home or that sort of thing. I don't know if they've opened them to them, but I know libraries have been used and that um, teachers are always calling their students individually to ask them like, are you able to look at this? Do you have a way of connecting on this? Like, can mm -hmm. you access it? If not, what can we do to help you? So mm -hmm. it's definitely an issue and that's something that, and on top of that, even though the internet connection is really good here, you still have your standard technical problems sure. with, with Zoom, Skype or whatever they might be using that happens, you know, everywhere. Right. You know, I am thinking about one of the big differences that I am, it sounds that sort of is is in one of the big differences between what you're describing and what sort of I've experienced here is just like the level of fear, you know, the fact that businesses, some businesses are still open, libraries are open, you know, there's not like this, except for in Daegu, there's not like a sense of like lockdown and, um, you know, like high risk and that people can get tested. Um, you know, access to that information about whether or not you're sick or whatever um, is so different from what I've experienced here in the U.S. Sure, um, yeah. Where tests, like testing has just been like a huge debacle, even for people. We have a friend who had a fever, a pretty high fever for over two weeks before she was able to get tested and the test was not super reliable. And then like the process oh. for testing was really uncomfortable. And, um, right. you know, for someone who's sick, kind of complicated. And, um, and then the way that businesses have shut down has been very much state by state. Mm -hmm. And the differences between states approaches to that and how they convey those messages and how well they support their local economies and think about those mm -hmm. things. You know, it just feels like, there's so much, I mean, obviously the U.S. is a much bigger country than Korea, just geographically, but so there's bound to be probably more variation in, yeah. in the response because of that. But Perfect. the, the outcome of all of that is like, you know, being able to look kind of next door and be like, well, they're doing something different. Should we be mm -hmm. doing something different or is what we're yeah. doing the right thing to do or how do we know? And that just yeah. creates so much uncertainty and fear. And when you've been talking, like, I'm sure that is part of the experience, but maybe you can talk a little bit about your perception of that. Do you, do you see that? Do you feel that when you're yeah. out and about? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, to, yeah. It, so to go at what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, it's the difference is night and day because of, well, if we just start with testing, mm. um, Korea knew from the get-go that if they were going to keep this under control, that they just needed widespread um, testing and that they needed to be, they needed to be aggressive in the places that had outbreaks. So when they, when Daegu had its issue, they were just, they were all over it and they just tested the heck out of people just right. everywhere. Um, it was just, testing, 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 testing. And so there was just the consensus that look, yeah, okay, if we're gonna like get through this in order to keep this under control, we've just, it's gotta be widespread. It, I mean, the testing has to be widely available, free mm -hmm. to everyone. And that's what it is. And so that's starting with that, that's been one of the big things that has, uh, you know, gave people a sense of confidence that it's under control. Um, the other thing is that, again, going back to the masks, that everybody wears masks. Right, right. Uh, That's not but, a scary thing to see someone no. out wearing a mask. I'll say I know that um, here the idea of wearing a mask, you know, is is really not typical because in the US, yeah. most people don't wear masks, even in the places sure. where the pollution is bad or whatever. But especially right. like in a small town where the air quality is pretty good, there aren't that many yeah. people. And now right. that people have started wearing masks, there was definitely this phase, and I think it's probably still happening to some degree, of mask shaming. Um, you know, where people, there's like a local online forum, people can post things about 
free stuff they want to give away or whatever. And there were a lot of comments about, I was downtown and saw five people and no one was wearing a mask. And like these really interesting responses um, that were happening before there's been a shift in the last week or so where not like people are making masks and it's more of like a grassroots way to support like essential yeah. workers. Um, but initially it was, it was definitely like a, 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 a hot, like a sensitive topic. And if you weren't wearing sure. a mask, you were suspect, <laughs> which is not yeah. the case in Korea. If people are wearing masks generally, or is it even? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I hear the thing is like, you would, I would say if like, when you're on the street, like 95% of the people you see are wearing masks. And right. so from someone like myself as a foreigner here, if I weren't wearing a mask, I would probably get a lot of dirty looks of mm -hmm. like, what the hell's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. Like, and of the people that I work with and friends that I have here have said like, why don't, Americans wear masks. What is the opposition to that? Like, why wouldn't you guys do everything possible to protect yourself and other people? We don't get that. That's a question that I've been posed a lot. Yeah. And they also, about the testing, they said, you guys are, you know, supposed to be like the most advanced country in the world. And why is it that testing is so hard? Like, that's another thing that we don't understand. Like, how can you possibly control it if you don't know how many people have it? They're like, that to yeah. them has a lot of Koreans just scratching their heads saying like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, I would say other things that have really given people confidence is, is that every store that you go into, there is hand sanitizer, like right mm -hmm. at the entrance and at the cashier. So everybody is applying it in it. When you go into an establishment and when you go out of establishment, everybody's doing that. Even at my cafeteria, at my Institute, um, we have to put on, um, plastic gloves as we get our trays um, and um, put on sanitizer before we put on the plastic gloves. Um, so everybody feels like this sense of just being responsible. Yeah. Um, and you have that everywhere. You have that at bus stops, hmm. at um, traditional markets where people are selling, you know, fruits and vegetables, like um, all the workers are wearing you know, rubber gloves or plastic gloves or whatever, and wearing masks, and they have sanitizer there, even in these traditional markets. Yeah. And there was just an, an election. We just had parliamentary elections here a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. And there, they had it so set up. As soon as you came in, the election workers, give me your hands. And they were pumping hand sanitizer on them. Okay, now put these gloves on. Okay, now you guys line up six feet apart, okay? Wow. And then, okay take your ballot and go in there. And then as you come out with the ballot, take your gloves off like that, throw them away. Mm. Um, they check your temperature. <laughs> Can you imagine going to a polling place and they're checking your temperature? Um, they're extremely thorough. Korea was one of the first to do like drive-through testing for the mm -hmm. coronavirus too. Mm -hmm. um, so the sense of that, I think people felt like, okay, you know, everything is being done to try to keep it under control. And of course, social distancing was being encouraged. People were saying stay at home. Now, not everybody was doing that, but there was enough of an understanding of what to do. And, and the government has been providing clear, um, you know, science-based information mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that people are getting every day from the government clear information about like, about what's happening, saying like, you know, I think there's been like a hundred people here who have gotten it a second time mm -hmm. and Tested we don't know why yeah. that is. Um, mm -hmm. And, but doctors here have had some theories, but we're like, you know, you can't say that you're immune after you get it once. We don't know in these cases exactly what's happening, but it, you know, right. you just listen to the experts. And I think that's another thing um, just seeing from America is that there seems to be, if people, <laughs> are trying to provide just clear science-based information. Nowadays in America, it seems like science yeah. has an agenda. Almost. <laughs> like, no. Right, there's definitely um, not um, a, a, an appreciation for science as a sort of neutral teller of information. Right. Yeah. I'm curious about a couple of other things, you know, in talking yeah. with, other people in the US about their experiences, the two things that have come up a lot 
are mm-hmm. the financial stress, you know, and the, the U.S. has had like all these giant stimulus packages and like relief yeah. packages that they've been fighting about in the in the House and Senate and, you know, these political battles that have ensued around that. And yes. and and then the second thing that's, you know, so so tied to that is people not being able to work and mm-hmm. having a lot of stress around what that's going to mean and how long that's going to happen, go on for. And so I'm curious about what's happened in Korea around that. And then the second question is related to that is since a lot of people are not leaving their house to work or are not working, like their pace to their life has been so different. They're Mm -hmm. either working from home with young kids present or kids in general present trying to Mm -hmm. support, you know, their schooling because school is in session here. Um, Or they're, they're, working from home or not working and things have just like slowed down dramatically or, you know, it varies from person to person, but the pace of their life has changed. And sure. a lot of the people I've talked to have said that that feels really good for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. like if it were to go on for a really long time, there need to be some things that change to make it feel sustainable. But generally sure. speaking, things were, yeah. things feel better being less busy. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm curious about how those two things might have shown up in Korea, if they have. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so as far as that goes, well, I guess the the economic part is still, you know, a bit rough, not as rough as other places, but, um, you know, they've said that a bad recession for sure is coming and that the economy has already contracted a little bit, a couple percentage points in the mm-hmm. first quarter. Um, and unemployment is going up and also Korea's economy is heavily based on exports mm-hmm. you know Samsung LG Hyundai and obviously those are taking a hit so um, the economic outlook is grim at the moment again not maybe not catastrophic but it's gonna be it's Rough. certainly bleak yeah mm-hmm. for sure um, as to how that's affecting people's schedules. Well, um, yeah, in connection with what you're saying, it's a bit of a mixed bag, I would say, because I believe it's the case, I'm pretty sure Korea and Japan, like Korea on average works more hours than I think just about anybody in the world. Yeah. And they're trying <laughs> to, they're slowly cutting back on that. They, like it was just in the last year or so where they said that like they were trying to make, um, you know, like, 58 hours the maximum down from something like crazy like 65 or something oh wow but but even that like a lot of companies aren't adhering to that Mm -hmm. um that's a struggle um but what in talking to a lot of people here and friends and that kind of a thing um some are saying you know what hey it's nice i actually have time at home with my kids Mm -hmm. because um especially for um when you have both parents working, they just typically, they don't see their kids and the kids go to school and then they go to additional academies and just everybody's someplace and they don't see each other that much. There's not a lot of family time. Yeah. So now they actually have some family bonding time, which is good. And for other people who are telecommuting, they can be around their family a bit more too. Mm-hmm. So that's been a nice thing. And because Korea has such long, brutal working hours where a lot of people just don't see their loved ones you know a lot of people are like hey oh my god i'm working from home i can have dinner with my family um i'm not being forced to go out drinking with my (laughs) bosses and supervisors which is a part of the business culture here Mm -hmm. and i can just be home at a normal hour and so people are saying that part is good and they can even like maybe get in like some exercise during the day too and Mm. that kind of thing so there are some positive things as far as that goes um like that you know um as you were saying the pace of life is slow pace of life is slowing down a bit and so i think people are appreciative of that just because the work culture here is very very intense mm-hmm. you know it's interesting when i hear you say like that number of hours the 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 average number of hours that people in Korea work. I sometimes wonder, like, even though in the US we say we have this eight hour work day, I, I wonder if that 
is really even true anymore because so many people do work so much more that I, I imagine that if there were some actual data collected around that, that it would look a lot more like what you're describing in Korea than it sure. does yeah. this like, you know, eight hour work day, especially right. with some of the commutes that people have, depending on where you live in the country. Absolutely. Um, I can say that's something that I am so happy to not be doing right now is driving. <laughs> yeah. I, right, right, right. I you know it's, it's just, it's not like the traffic in Vermont is very challenging. It's not really much traffic at all, but, um, just to not be spending that time sitting in a car yeah. is really nice. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was going to ask you one last question, but before I do that, I, I wanted to see if there was anything else you wanted to share about that had been on your mind. Um, I've been peppering you with all sorts of <laughs> Korean U.S. comparison questions. <laughs> sure. Actually, there was a couple of things I just did want to hit on um, yeah. that, that's been very effective here. Um, one of the other things that has been effective has been the contact tracing. Mm. Um, so, um, for example, when somebody does, um, when somebody does is like it, when you have an area that is hit by um, like an outbreak or something like that, mm -hmm. um, you will get a text on your phone that says like in this area, blah, blah, blah. There's a couple of cases reported today. And then you can go on, the um that area is like website that like local government's website and they will provide more information about the general area the time and that kind of thing they won't name like the businesses establishments they were in to protect the restaurant mm -hmm. owners and of course they don't name the name of the people but mm -hmm. it's like if you were in this area at one o'clock today blah 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 and near these just in this vicinity you should get tested as a precaution so that has been a very careful way to for people to say, oh, oh, what really? Oh my God, there were, t oh, I was there. Mm -hmm. I should go get tested just as a precaution. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another thing. The contact tracing has been very effective. I realize in the US that could be a privacy issue, um, but no names and no businesses are yeah. located. It's just like, there were cases in this area. If you were in this area on this date at this time, you should get tested. And that's yeah. proof be very effective. It is so interesting. I think a lot of the resistance to the techniques that have been used in other countries comes yeah. down to this question of civil liberties and violation of those in some people's yes. perspective. And uh -huh. that is such a fascinating paradox that these, these systems or these like protections that are in place to maintain your independence and sort of individual sovereignty are what yep. people are suggesting are the reasons to not take care of each other, which sure. is this fascinating. Like, I mean, I don't think that this is novel, the idea in the U S of like in this sort of, um, it's not elite individualism, but it's like this, it's just like ex excessive individualism in yeah. contrast with the idea of, you are part of a, a culture you're you you yeah. don't exist as an island right um and the way that those two that's that's really what's come to the surface in a really strong way is the sure. conflict between how do you be an individual within a, a society and how do you take care of yourself and each other yeah simultaneously and listening to the contact the contact tracing um description that you were just saying i've definitely seen news articles shared around the u.s that describe that process as if personal information is being shared they're saying like this person lives at this address you know and yeah. it's really just such misinformation Completely. you know um and it's reassuring to hear you know that's not actually what's happening even right. though i suspected <laughs> that that yeah. wasn't what's happening sure yeah um because I do, I have had conversations with people where they're like, well, this is happening in Korea. You know, they're just targeting people. And it, it, it's such a, a mis, misunderstanding of the, even the purpose of contact tracing is not to like right. single people out. It's really to just inform and. Um, right. Yeah. So that's, hmm. what else did you want to share, Sean? 
Yeah, well, no, just, I mean, to follow up on that point, you're, you're correct in that there is a lot of misinformation there um, about that particular point, um, because I've, you know, read in comment section online and people saying, I guess the term is, what is it, doxing? Is that is that the term, I think? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I think, because I've been seeing that word a lot lately, um, about like where it's, you know, revealing personal information, identifying people and Mm. we would never allow that in this country kind of a thing but mm -hmm. yeah just to set the record straight yeah name people's personal information is not being made available and I even before we started talking I even confirmed this with my wife and she said they don't name the you know establishments that people were in they just tell you the general vicinity right like near the subway station or whatever so that people are like oh okay like like, yeah, I, well, I did walk by there at that time kind of a thing. So it's not like, you know, Mr. Um, Minho Lee was at, um, you know, um, McDonald's at two o'clock and then was like tested positive for the virus. And no, uh, that's not what's happening. So um, for the people who hear this podcast, let me just clarify that, like, that's not what the contact tracing is in Korea. It's just giving you general information so that you hear it. And then if you happen to be in that area, then you should know, okay, right. I should get tested. I should self quarantine that type of thing. So like, yeah, it's really, it's really dangerous. Again, this is when we, before we talked that whole notion of processing information, that's part of what it is that that worries me so much is that the way people process information like that and think that that's you know i i i, I guess i'll say this i don't want to get like off on a rant or anything but um what i think is like objective truth matters mm -hmm. and we have to we have to recognize that there is that is such a thing as objective truth like this I'm not saying that fake news is not a thing because it is the thing and that you have websites and things that mm -hmm. report stuff that's simply not true. But um, what worries me is that, you know, we're in this age now with clickbaiting and social media, the stuff that's out there where people are able to make, you know, two plus two equals five arguments and they're given you know, credibility and consideration. And that's mm -hmm. incredibly dangerous with what we're doing now when we should just be talking about cold, hard scientific evidence. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think is happening in Korea. Not to say that everybody is, you know, behaving as they should be, but, you know, you don't have, in Korea, you don't have people with guns protesting in front of a place saying, let us, you know, in front of hospitals. Yeah, right, right. right. Uh, that's not happening here. That's not an issue here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder sometimes about, you know, just Korea's proximity to China and like historically the relationship that those two countries have had has not always been a pleasant, positive, easy one. Um, Correct. And whether there's, you know, information that whether the communication channels between Korea and China look very different than between China and the US. And the way that information about maybe what was happening in China before the virus moved over to Korea was better understood, or at least more, the, I wonder if there was more awareness about what was happening in China um, than, what, than in the US, um, even just, you know, geographical proximity, I'm sure that in Korea, you hear a lot more about what's happening in China than in the news or whatever, than, than we might in the same way, just being like a, a geographical neighbor, essentially. Um, sure. And, and the way that that also influences like this perception of information and what's trustworthy and what's not. I think in the US, like anything coming from China is information coming from China is often considered unreliable. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know if that perception is different in Korea, but I, I know the history between the US and China really bolsters that assumption. Um, 
And, and because we're not set so close uh, on the planet, there's, there's less motivation to really understand your, your fellow country, (laughs) you know, as opposed to like, if, if this information were coming from Canada, I think there would, or Mexico, there might be a lot more motivation to, um, to have some like better channels of information sharing in place. I don't know. It's just a speculation about (laughs) countries and the way they communicate, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I would say that over here, the feeling is probably somewhat similar to the U S there's a lot of distrust of China, uh, specifically the Chinese government. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, to be clear, not necessarily Chinese people, but the Chinese government right. is the, right. where the suspicion um, comes from. Yeah. Right. That's where a lot of the, you know, the, <laughs> the anger is directed at. Um, the, so yeah, the feeling was that China was not being um, transparent and totally truthful with what was going on. That's for sure. Um, in fact, the president of here, the president of Korea, Moon Jae-in, people were angry at him at first because he tends to be very protective of Korea and China relations. He mm-hmm. prefers to have good relationships with Beijing. Um, people were frustrated that he waited so long to cut off um, travel from Wuhan. Mm. Um, they did it kind of late in the game and a lot of people were pissed about that. Now, the way that it, they the government has handled it. After that though, his ratings are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another, And but just to be clear too, the rest of travel from the rest of China was not cut off. So people were still <laughs> coming in from other places. So um, when you hear all this stuff about, um, you got to block off, you know, travel restrictions, this, that, and the other. Well, I mean, here in Korea, it was like, okay, yeah, cut it off from the place where it's come, mm-hmm. where the outbreak started. But like, the virus is already here. We got to deal with it here the, to get it under control. We got to do this, this, and this, um, and that has happened. So, mm-hmm. um, rather than maintain like this isolationist perspective correct. for an extended period of time, which really isn't sustainable for any country or any right. you know like entity figure out ways to address it and keep it kind of in check so that we can keep our borders and trade and everything open. Right, exactly. I mean, I I get the whole idea for that was to buy time, but okay, yeah, okay, fine, if it's to buy time, but to buy time means to buy time to get ready when it comes over so that you've got everything together. Um, But to go back to what you were asking about with China, um, yeah, there's a really, the there's a lot of frustration here with China too because of stuff like air pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, China has moved a lot of their factories to their east coast, so mm-hmm. a lot of that pollution travels over to Korea. So we have severe air pollution problems, and at least half of that is because of, you know, from China. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also issues of uh, there's some resentment too because in Jeju Island, a kind of like um, weekend getaway place, there's um, a lot of Wealthy Chinese have been buying real estate down there, and a lot of Koreans don't like that because it's just they feel like that's like you know mm-hmm. Korean land and so forth. There's there's those types of issues, mm-hmm. um, but about the virus itself, yeah, people were angry. I think the feelings were probably pretty fairly similar to that to what the U.S. Mm-hmm. has, and Korea has been a democracy for. 24th or 30 some years so they're like it's a free and open society and you know they know how china works and the Mm -hmm. countries have close ties and people travel back and forth to both places um all the time Mm -hmm. but um yeah there's a lot of there's yeah the feeling that you have in the u.s you get some of that in korea Korea as well yeah Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and thinking about how you started sharing at the beginning of the conversation about rethinking some of your like personal plans in light Uh of all of this, (laughs) um, is there, is there anything about, you know, as a teacher, um, I know you were describing to me, I think before we started recording that you are teaching teachers, you you work at a training institute to teach other teachers how to teach, um, 
And I wonder, as a teacher or as someone who's supporting people who are teaching, are there things that come to mind for you about how, like, shifts, things that you've been rethinking about that at all, um, about how to do that if you're if you're being asked to do that remotely? Was that is that a difficult transition to imagine to to be doing that through August if that's the case? Yeah, I mean, we've been teaching. Um, we've been doing teaching, um, I've been teaching via Skype for the past several weeks mm-hmm. and I'm about to switch over to Zoom for next week. And then the week after that, we will actually get them in person, thankfully, because um, it's we, we have 20 teachers in this year's group and we were able to work it out that they'll have teachers. And um, since we teach teachers and not, you know, mm-hmm. several hundred students, we were able to get the okay. So thankfully, it won't be a concern. It has been an issue for the last couple of weeks um, in that you feel like you can't develop a much of a personal connection to them. You can't cover as much ground as you like. Mm-hmm. They can't hear everything that you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can't hear on hear them when you call on them. Um, so, and they don't get to see, be around their classmates. So there's so much that's lost with mm-hmm. that. Um, not to say that there are some good things. I mean, technology is a wonderful thing and you can just, there's a lot that you can do, but I don't think it's the same experience in any right. way. And um, that's been one thing that just to, just to make it personal again about like the master's degree, I knew that um, if I was going to do it, I would probably be doing it with an online program with a university in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That always worried me because I was like, well, if I'm going to graduate school, shouldn't I actually be physically going to a school? <laughs> and the concept of that I would just be doing it, looking at a monitor, looking at a computer screen, even though I get that's how we do things nowadays. And that's been, and pretty much all major universities offer it nowadays. Mm-hmm it still just didn't sit right with me for what I wanted to do and all the time and money. And so Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of like made me go, it's just kind of kept me on the fence for a long time, which is not necessarily a good thing, but, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, and now I've been teaching things online and seeing the advantages and disadvantages of it. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's been an issue. It just, it just has again, reminded me that there's nothing like being there physically in person. Um, unless it's something, unless a teacher is just doing the same lecture every time, well then, yeah, you can just put a video on that, but like not doing that. So, yeah, um, you know, what's interesting, Sean, is, um, the person who I talked to in the episode before yours, her Mm -hmm. name is Rhiannon Kim and, um, Uh she teaches, she's a speech pathologist and she's been teaching college level courses around mindfulness and um and related related to people who are working in this in the field I'm in but also it it, it, the class involves students from other fields Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and listening to her talk about how she's adjusted her her teaching style or approach so that she can do online classes especially around something like mindfulness um has been, it was really, um, it was really encouraging to hear that there are people in higher education who are thinking differently about how to use that tool and that platform. Um, Mm -hmm. And it reminds me, there's a, there's a podcast I'll have to look up and send you the name of, but there's a woman um, in, who, who talks a lot about like, she's, she's a, uh, she's a professor, um, but she talks a lot about the challenges of teaching online it, okay. at, at that like higher level, um, you know, like university level, graduate level education. Sure. Um, because I have had really miserable experiences with that, with that, okay. and um, okay. and I think that that is really changing. At least in the U.S., my impression is that in part because universities are trying to figure out how to save money and stay open for the next year. Right. A lot of them are reevaluating their online programs to mm. make them more 
you know, more, more, a a better experience, (laughs) not just about like watching, um, a video or a lecture. Uh, and so I wonder, I'm curious to see if that shifts even how education is sort of envisioned, um, especially at the graduate level where there's, depending on what it is that you were planning to study, what were you planning to study? Well, that's the other thing is that <laughs> I, that's the other reason why, because it's like if I do education or English education or something like that, mm. that's that those are possibilities. But that was the other reason why I, I've hesitated is because I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to commit mm. to. So yeah. I was like, I was like, usually you have a general career path that you want to follow if you're going to get a master's degree. Not necessarily, but it's like... (laughs) I'm shaking my head no, because I think every single person I I know with a master's degree has like, you know, taken a very circuitous path, unless they were like out of undergrad, I want to be a PhD, like engineer. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. But maybe that's just liberal arts. I don't know. No, you're you're right. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, that's true. Everybody like more <laughs> that you have the masters, and then you can just do whatever right. you want to do with it. Right. But um, I guess for me, the concern was that, like, um, especially now with my age and everything, if I spend all that time and money on it, and then it's like, okay, now what? And mm. um, well, maybe I'll do this, and then that having that debt now and all of those issues to deal with, and. And then Mm -hmm. seeing a friend the other day post on Facebook, you know what, like my master's that she got within the last year or so, she's like, I really feel like it was a waste. I should have just gotten some certifications and certain things. And that probably would have been sufficient enough. Yeah. And I was like, that's a good point. Yes. Depending on what you want to do. I, I agree with that. You know, there's, um, there's another, um, program I learned about recently called instructional coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was thinking about like, you know, I don't, I don't need or want to go back to school, um, in that sort of conventional sense, but I really like the idea of participating in trainings and educational experiences or certificate programs that, um, are enriching like my skill set and my knowledge base in a way mm-hmm. that like builds on all the education that I've had. Um, cause I, I also feel like at least in the, in, unless you're doing something hyper-specialized in the U S there's a point where you kind of are self-directing anyway in higher education. Um, and if the degree itself isn't necessary, then it is like you're describing a big financial investment for most people. Um, if, if there isn't like a super specific reason to, to do that, then it's not always really beneficial. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, well, the question that I like to kind of ask to wrap things up a little bit is something like, where do you see possibility? You know, like there's a lot of stress and frustration and uncertainty right now. Um, a lot of changes that have happened and I like to try and shift a little bit and think about from all of this, where do you see possibility emerging? Sure. Um, in terms of possibility, um, what I'm hoping for is is that we realized how we have to pay more attention to science <laughs> and to mm-hmm. what um, science is. Like as Neil deGrasse Tyson likes to say, you know, science is true whether you believe it or not. Okay. <laughs> like, um, you know, you don't have to believe in the theory of gravity, but we can sit down and prove it right now. You don't have to believe that oil and water don't mix, but we can sit down and test that and prove that right now. So mm-hmm. um, I would just hope that people um, pay more attention to science and what that's telling us and how we have to live our life and the way we have to do things. Um, so I'm hopeful that that could happen because, for example, here in Korea and everywhere else, people are talking about how clear the air, how clean the air is. And it's like, wow, like I can see this tree now and this type of thing. And like, wow, look at the horizon and everything. Like, it's like, hey, you know, we've cut back on all this pollution and look at what's happening. Oh, my God, I can breathe the air and what a beautiful day and this, that. So it's 
uh, you know, I see some people saying, look, the maybe the planet, the planet can repair itself if we allow it to, like Jane Goodall likes to say, you know, so give nature time, give it the time and space and it can do it. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that we're recognizing that. I also hope that it we're recognizing that um, in terms of income inequality, how how bad mm. it really is mm -hmm. um, and that how much do we really need to consume um, mm -hmm. and not to say that we all need to become minimalists although I think there's a lot there's plenty of good things to be from like the minimalist you know idea mm -hmm. the, but it's just like you know see what works for that or even like um, Marie Kondo and that that whole <laughs> tidying up thing of like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what brings you happiness if it doesn't get rid of it like scale it down to what you need you know do we need McMansions and those kinds of things like right. we're taught that that's the idea well yeah that's fine you can have that but you know what are like how much carbon are you putting into the atmosphere by having that like nice place like what do you really need um what responsibility do you have as a human being, especially if you have kids, even if you don't have kids, like, you know, what kind of car are you driving? Are you still driving, you know, a gasoline fueled car? Or are you looking into getting at least a hybrid, then an mm -hmm. electric car? Um, what are you doing as to be a responsible citizen? What about the science? What, like, how much do you need to consume? Um, and about taking care of ourselves. Mm. Um, we all live very high stressed lives and i mean one thing i'm doing is what i've started to implement more is breathing exercises yeah which i found to be helpful um i'm trying now like the wim hof method oh you are yeah and yeah. i like i like his breathing exercises i don't know about the cold shower stuff okay. i haven't i haven't gotten into that now okay. I, I think there's probably good stuff to take from that in fact the the literature that I read on that says the reason why it it's so beneficial is that what psychologists were saying is that most of us are fearful of cold water and mm. being freezing, like oh my god that's freezing oh I can't take it blah blah you know that kind of thing mm -hmm. so if you're able to get in there and overcome that just like in therapy how it's about overcoming your fears and everything mm. if you can overcome cold water and being like I feel so good then you're gonna walk away feeling like I am super mad kind of thing. <laughs> Kind of makes sense why it helps you mm -hmm. mentally mm -hmm. and i found with the breathing exercise that it, it does help in terms of relaxation and in terms of reducing stress and boosting the immune system so yeah i hope that you know as people are quarantined and you know social distancing that people can take more time to take care of their health like mentally physically all mm -hmm. of those things um i think that um Brain exercises are important, reading and just, you know, brain teasers, puzzles, those kinds of things. Because if we're gonna, if we're gonna get out of this, what we need to do is we need to be thinking clearly and all of that stuff. So, so, so those are like just a few of the things that, you know, come to mind in terms of like um, where I see hope. I think if we're more science-based, that's, that's a great way, place to start. Yeah, so. yeah. It's been, you know, so interesting listening to people's experiences and perspectives and hearing about where they see, you know, the opportunity. And yeah. it, I would say that everyone I've talked to, I'm pretty sure everyone I've talked to, um, to do these podcast episodes has said something along the lines of like taking better care of, you know, ourselves and each other, yeah. you know, our physical health, our mental health. And um, that looks different for each person, but, um, sure. it's amazing that that is on people's minds as much as it is. Mm -hmm. And, um, it makes me wonder like how long that's been the case and we just haven't prioritized yeah. it, um, yeah, you're right. which I'm sure has been a while. Cause I, you sure. know, for myself, I know that I have had that same experience. So, yeah. you know, uh, but it is sort of interesting to consider that a global <laughs> pandemic is, is, is what it is taking for people to not even take action, but to like yeah. think about taking action. Like right, right, right. even, even a pandemic isn't, isn't spurring action yet. <laughs> right.
But exactly. I think, <laughs> um, and just like, wow, we are, as humans, we are just like so stuck in our, in our ways, you know? Uh, but I do think that the possibility that comes from that thinking is sometimes um, as helpful as the actual action, you know? The, oh, yeah. the, the shifting, the thinking is sometimes more important than changing the action, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it has, it's the first step, you know? So. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Sean. This has been so much fun to talk with you and to thank hear all you your so thoughts. much for the opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. It was great. Yeah. Um, 